So um, I, uh, I decided, I wasn't sure exactly how much time we would have left. We have uh, uh, almost a half an hour, but uh, I, I did a little, it's, this isn't our typical, uh, we're not going to be in 1 Corinthians, and I, I was, I didn't, I'm not doing an exposition of a particular text, but I'm, I did sort of a theological study where I looked up uh, one word in Scripture, and I looked up every occurrence of that word, and then I tried to categorize them into different categories so I could get a theology of gratitude. And so I came up with seven characteristics of gratitude. And I'm sure there are more, uh, but I wanted to just get a general handle on what is gratitude for a believer. And... Um, the word that I chose is the word Eucharisto or Eucharisteo. It's, it's, uh, it's the word that uh, we use to describe communion, uh, giving thanks, Eucharist, um, in English. But it's a Greek word that comes from two words coming together. One of them, it means well or good. And then the other one means rejoice or be glad or even charis is the word grace. And so... The, the word has this idea is to offer grace well, to offer grace well, uh, to be thankful, to give thanks, to express appreciation for benefits or blessings. Um, and uh, it's related to a Hebrew word, which means thanksgiving or praise for the wonderful works of God. And that's really what it is. It's, it's giving thanksgiving and praise to the wonderful works of God. Um, and so seven characteristics of gratitude. The first one is that gratitude should be something that characterizes the lives of believers. Gratitude should be something that people, when they think of you, and somebody says, describe to me what this person is like, they say, this person is full of gratitude. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. They are thankful. Colossians 3 Verse 17 says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So that's pretty all-encompassing. Whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. First Thessalonians 5.18, in everything, give thanks. Again, we, we get that all-encompassing idea of gratitude. In everything, give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I think if we just had those two verses, that would be enough for us to know that we should be grateful, that this should characterize our life because the scripture tells us we should be grateful. But we have more. Not only do we have, um, do we know that gratitude is something that should characterize the lives of believers, but gratitude is the solution to anxiety. Gratitude is the solution to anxiety. Philippians 4, 6, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And uh, what you'll find is that uh, if you're having trouble with anxiety or worry or nervousness, gratitude will play a key role. And I think we heard that this morning, just listening to the jollies about how going through difficult times, but finding little things to be thankful for just kind of snowballed in their lives. 
And this is something we need to remember. And this is something when you're going through a difficult time, and there are many stories here. We could have brought many stories out here this morning, but um, gratitude is really something that brings us through those difficult times of worry. It causes us to focus on what is what is right and good. So firstly, it's something that should be characterized by all believers. Secondly, it's a solution for anxiety. Thirdly, it is the alternative to greed and immoral behavior. It is the alternative to greed and immoral behavior. Listen to these verses. Ephesians 5, verses 3 and 4. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not be even named among you as is proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. It's a huge laundry list of dirty laundry. And what do you replace that with? It's gratitude, the giving of thanks. Several years ago, Nate Busnitz preached a message here in, in the worship center on gratitude. And uh, he had a great analogy. He called gratitude the apple cider vinegar of theology because it seems like uh, if you look up what apple cider vinegar can do, it can do everything. It cures this. It helps this. It's, you know, it's like, well, wh- wh- what do you, you know, what do you, uh, what do you do for this? I've, you know, I, I, it's kind of a little joke in our homes. You know, my back hurts. Oh, try some apple cider vinegar. You know, it's because it does everything. Um, but uh, gratitude is all over the scripture. And it's the solution to many of our issues. It does everything. If you don't know what to say, if you don't know how to go through something, or if you're dealing with any issue, try focusing on gratitude to God. It's something that should characterize the lives of believers. It's the solution for anxiety. It's the alternative to greed and immoral behavior. One more verse on the alternative to greed and immoral behavior would be Titus 2, 11 and 12, which doesn't have this word in there, but... Uh, The word grace is there, which is related to it. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And this is one of my favorite verses. I mention a lot here. So if you haven't picked up on that, just make a note for Titus 2, 11, and 12, one of my favorite, one of the most meaningful passages to me uh, as a Christian because uh, I, I remember struggling with, How do I live a godly life? What motivates me to live a godly life? And there are many motivations. I mean, God will discipline those whom he loves. That's a motivation that he can use. Um, But grace and gratitude for God's grace is a motivation. When somebody says, what you have done for me. Uh, And and when this came uh, to to my forefront, actually, was when I I read a book by Jerry Bridges called The Discipline of Grace. And the introduction to that book, he talks about... uh, He talks about other books that he's written. He had written a book, The Pursuit of Holiness, which is a great book, and we should be holy as God is holy. And it's a challenging book on holiness. Then later, he wrote a book on grace and transforming grace and how it is is beautiful. Grace is... God is gracious, And so many people asked him, how can you write a book on being holy and loving God's grace? Because it seems like they kind of, everybody, I think each one of us tends to slip into one category or another when it comes to spiritual maturity 
that draws us away from where we should be. And on the one side is sort of this spiritual piety, this holier-than-thou, like, <gasps> you don't have the LSB Bible? You know, what, what, what kind of Christian are you? Or, or whatever it is, which is a great translation. I'm not knocking it at all. I'm just saying that, that we can be, you know, you know, we can be a little pious, a false piety, a false holiness, a, a legalistic legalism. But on the, other, on the other end of the spectrum is cheap grace. It's this idea of, well, God forgives me, I can sin, doesn't matter. Uh, you know, God's gracious, and so what does it matter how I live? Both of those are very dangerous mindsets that Satan uses to draw us away from where we should be. So... He wrote a book on holiness, he wrote a book on grace, and that's why he wrote that third book, The The Discipline of Grace, because grace should motivate us to live holy. It's this idea that, look at all he's done for me. Um, I'm overwhelmed by that. Uh, I want to live for Christ. And I think it's actually the gospel. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, was God in the flesh, and God loved you so much that rather bring his wrath down on you, he sent his son to die for you as a substitute for you to bear the punishment that you should take for your sin because God is holy and he will not tolerate sin and he will not be in the presence of sin. Therefore, those of us who are sinners, which is all of us, we have no hope in this world. We cannot be self-righteous. It's only adding more sin to the stench of the pile of sin that we've already accumulated, we need a Savior who will come and cleanse us and sanctify us and make us holy and acceptable so that we can stand before God. And when he sees us, he sees not our righteousness, but Christ's righteousness. We need Christ's righteousness to be there on our behalf because we don't have any righteousness. And for those who repent of their sins and turn and trust in Christ as Lord, and master and say, I no longer want to be the master of my own life. I've been making a mess of it. I give my life to you. Thy will be done. You want to take me tomorrow from cancer or an accident or whatever? Whatever glorifies you the most, I give you my life. I want my life to be so different that when people look at me, they see Jesus Christ because that's all that matters to me. And that's what a believer is, is somebody who gives their life to Christ and then believes in what the word of God says. And part of that is reflected in our gratitude. And we're motivated by that. Being grateful for what God has done helps motivate us. I think sometimes we hear messages on the gospel and we say, well, I've heard the gospel before. I know the gospel. I'm a believer. I don't need to hear another message on the gospel. Titus, Titus 2, 11 and 12 disagrees with that. Titus 2 11 and 12 says the gospel is just as much for believers as it is for unbelievers. Because the gospel is good news, Romans 1. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those that believe. So for those who are unbelievers, it's how you come into faith. For those who are believers, it motivates you to live a holy life. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and world desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And then that Ephesians 5, 3, and 4, the 
immorality, impurity, or greed must not be named among you as is proper among the saints. There must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather what? Giving of thanks. So something that should characterize believers, it's a solution for anxiety. It's an alternative for greed and immoral behavior. And fourthly, it's an evidence that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an evidence that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, you heard Brian say earlier that it's strengthened him as a believer with the assurance of salvation because he's seeing himself respond in ways that he could never do naturally. And so he must say, this is the Lord working in my life over these years. Um, he, he, uh, Ephesians 5.20 says, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even in the Father. Um, and Ephesians 5.20, remember, is right after Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And being filled with the Spirit is doing what the Spirit of God would have you do. Um, being filled with the Spirit of God is saying, I'm going to be controlled by God's Spirit, what He would have me do, not what I feel like doing right now. And so that produces a reaction, and we've talked about this when we walk through Ephesians as well. There are five participles that hang off that be filled with the Spirit command that describe what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit and singing and making melody in your heart and giving thanks to God in everything. Um, So that gratitude is a manifestation of God's Spirit. It's an evidence that you are doing what God's spirit would have you to do. Um, Not only is it an evidence, but fifthly, a lack of it is evidence of a darkened and foolish heart. Those who are ungrateful, it's an evidence either that you're not saved or you're thinking like an unbeliever. Listen to these verses, Romans 1, 20 through 21. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. So there's this idea that, you know, Romans 1 has those those that repeated phrase, God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over. Romans 1 tells us that God gives everybody what they want. You want to rebel against God? You want to be deep in your sin? God gives you over to that frightening, frightening passage. But when we read Romans 1 and it talks about um, this idea of his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen um, so that men are without excuse. Everybody believes in God. Atheists believe in God. There is no such thing as an atheist because since the creation of the world, it has been made manifest to them. Those who deny that there's a God in their heart, they know the truth. Romans 1 says what? They are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. It's because they love their sin so much and want to keep their sin that they deny what they know to be true. That's what's happening in California. Man, you should meet people in Texas when you say you're from California. 
They, we got a little reputation going on here. Uh, and uh, and, and I, I just say, oh, man, I love being in California. It's a great time to preach Christ because we can see different worldviews coming out very clearly. And so we need to be more strengthened in that. And a lack of gratitude, Romans one twenty one says, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. And that's quite something. The sign of somebody who doesn't love God is they're not grateful to him for what he's given them. And, that, you know, when you think about a funeral service, there's one thing you could say at every funeral. We can be grateful for the common grace that God has allowed because none of us deserve to be here. We can be grateful that we knew this person who passed away. We can be grateful that God allowed them to bring joy in our lives. If, you, if, if they're, they're coming to a memorial service for someone, it's because that person impacted them somehow. We can be grateful. That's a gift from God. And so gratitude needs to come out in every circumstance, no matter what's going on around us, because a lack of it is evidence of a darkened and foolish heart. Sixthly, thankfulness is related to what Christ has done. Thankfulness is related to what Christ has done. It's related to election. It's related to salvation. It's related to sanctification. It's related to the sacrifice of Christ. Listen to these passages, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, Beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second um, Thessalonians two thirteen and 14 says, We should always give thanks for you because God chose you before the foundation of the world, that, that he saved you, he sanctified you, he called you. Um, Matthew 6, 27 and 28. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. What happens at the, at the Passover when when Jesus, the Last Supper there, the Passover meal that they're celebrating on that, on that uh, night in which our Lord was betrayed, what he does with the cup would be shocking for any Jew to hear it for the first time. Because for hundreds of years, thousands of years Prior to that, they were to celebrate the Passover to celebrate deliverance from slavery in Egypt. The Passover cup was symbolic of the blood of a lamb that was slaughtered in each home, and they put the blood on the doorpost of the home. And remember in Egypt, with all those plagues, it was the last plague that death passed over those homes that had blood on the doorpost. And Jesus takes that cup, which had for hundreds and years, for these guys' entire lifetime, you would pick it up and you would reminisce about that event. And Jesus held that cup and he said, he gave thanks and he gave it to them and saying, drink from it all of you for this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And when he says, do this in remembrance of me, 
He's changing it, saying, not that lamb, but of me, this lamb. The cup now is symbolic of the sacrifice that Christ made for sin. The cup is not about deliverance from slavery in Egypt for Israel. The cup is about deliverance from sin for all believers. And that's what we do when we celebrate the Eucharist or the communion table because thankfulness is related to all that Christ has done. So we've seen six of them. We've seen it's something that should characterize the life of, lives of believers. It's the solution for anxiety. It's the alternative for greed and immoral behavior. It's an evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a lack A lack of it is evidence of a darkened and foolish heart. That's number five. Number six, it's related to what Christ has done. And number seven, it's related to a future hope because it doesn't stop here. Listen to Revelation chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, which says this. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom, sorry, this is, I think, Revelation 10, 15. Somebody can look that up for me. Uh, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, and because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. So did I get the chapter right? What chapter is that? Chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 17. There's an idea that no matter what you're going through in this life, because God has been faithful, because he has His plans and his ways are always perfect because his track record is perfect. Because when you read scripture from Genesis all the way through Revelation, he always does what is best and what is righteous despite the way it looks. Then when we go through a period in our lives where the storm is just swirling around us and everything we know seems to be destroyed and people look at you and say, how is it that you can be at peace? And how is it that you can find things to be grateful for in your life? In spite of what's going on around you, you can say, because my hope is in the future. Because there is a day for eternity that far outweighs this. It's so much better that, that, that it says in, in Romans 8, verse 18, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Do you, do you, do you get that? That, that? that the sufferings of this present time can't even be compared with the glory that is in the future? Nobody gets to heaven and say, yeah, turns out this is a good place. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty tough down there on earth, but, you know, I suppose it was worth Nobody says that. They don't even make a comparison because it is so much better. You can't compare the most difficult thing down here to that greatness of that. Whatever you're going through is nothing compared to the glory which shall be revealed in those who are in Christ. And I think we, we miss that. Because the world around us tries to hook us in and say, the world is what will satisfy you. 
and we start to believe that, but the answer is that my only satisfaction comes from Christ. My only satisfaction is in serving him and glorifying him, and I will be with him for all eternity, and it will be so much greater that nothing in here, nothing on this earth has anything to offer me compared to what that is. And there is no amount of suffering or loss that I can experience down here that is compared to the glory which will be there. So it's a future grace, a future gratitude. Those are seven characteristics of gratitude. I want to close with, um, with the words of a hymn that is familiar to us, uh, Be Still My Soul. And I'm going to read verses 2 and 3. Be still, my soul. And I just want to stop there because we sing this song and I think of the anxiety and what does it mean to be still and to trust and to rest. So this is what the author, Katrina von Schlegel, was thinking when she wrote these words. Be still, my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Thy hope, thy confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul, the waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. Be still, my soul, the hour is hastening on when we shall be forever with the Lord. When disappointment, grief, and fear are gone, sorrow forgot, love's purest joys restored, be still, my soul, when change and tears are past, all safe and blessed, we shall meet at last. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we go through periods that last way too long where we do not remind ourselves to be grateful. We've just come out of a day called Thanksgiving and how many times have we complained from Thursday to Sunday? So forgive us, Father, for looking at our circumstances and things going on around us with a worldly perspective and help us, Father, to be more mindful of who you are that we might reflect who you are, your goodness, your grace towards us. And may that be reflected in our love and care towards one another. Again, we think of the Jollies and we, we pray for Brian and Debbie. We're thankful for their testimony and the reminder to us as a group of the importance of focusing on what is what you have revealed. So thank you for teaching us this morning. We give you honor and praise and glory, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.